Good morning. So um, September 15th through October 15th is Latinx and Hispanic, Hispanic Heritage Month in the US, which celebrates Independence Days for Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Chile, Nicaragua, and Mexico. So in honor of this, we wanted to focus on themes from Latin American liberation theology. So this is a great opportunity to step back and talk about some of the underlying theologies and ideas that shape a lot of what we talk about already at BLC. So this morning, you'll probably hear a lot of our um, regularly expressed values and beliefs. And the hope is that we would do a better job at naming the origins of much of um, this Jesus tradition that we follow. And a lot of that has roots in bodies of thought like Latin American liberation theology. So most of the popular theologies that we encounter in churches comes from 21st century America, white Euro-American perspectives on power. And so in contrast, liberation theologies develop from within communities on the margins, not the centers of institutional power. In many ways, liberation theologies free our perspective of God and we are able to see a clearer picture of Jesus as someone who aligns with the suffering and does not seek a powerful position. Dominant theologies often place a lot of emphasis on being forgiven from sin, and in this setting, heaven and hell act as faith motivators and personal salvation after death. Liberation theologies flip this and place an emphasis on being freed from sin, acknowledging that in the here and now, people experience hell, communal salvation compels us to move in a way that also makes freedom possible in the here and now. Dominant theologies are typically thought of as being from the top down. Liberation theologies would be from the bottom up. And it would be inaccurate to say that there is one liberation theology. Making theologies plural is intentional because while this body of thought collectively represents culturally grounded ideas, there are just as many theologies as there are different cultural groups. I first encountered liberation theology in a college course and it absolutely changed my perspective on much of the church, um, much of my faith. And in many ways it really did in a season of some intense wrestling and trying to understand what I believed in. Liberation theology really bought, brought me back to Jesus um, and gave me a new energy behind things, just a new outlook, new insights. So today we wanna to talk about these themes that are really core to BLC that can be seen in Latin American liberation theologies. And Vince has been doing a deep dive on one particular theologian, John Sabrino. So Vince, I'm excited to learn from and with you this morning. Can you start things off by telling us a little bit more about Sabrino and his work? Yeah, for sure. Thanks. This is, this is fun. I'm a, I'm a fan of deep dives. I just like to like dig in to one topic for a period of time and learn all I can about it. And it, it's fun to kind of have a, uh, I'm doing my book report for the church. I hope it feels helpful. So, um, yeah, so, uh, John Sabrino is, uh, is the, the theologian that I've been doing a deep dive on. He was born in Spain in 1938 and spent much of his, um, much of his time uh, as a Jesuit priest in El Salvador, uh, where he became a really, really important voice uh, that was articulating uh, a unique form of theology uh, in like the 1970s. Um, there was kind of a burst of lots of theology coming out of Latin America, and um, Sabrino was a part of that. Uh, he was uh, a, a 
he he was so intense and so uh, became so influential uh, to the point of many assassination uh, attempts on his life. And so there was there was one point uh, where uh, the military military of of El Salvador, which was f- uh, funded and equipped and trained by the United States, um, attempted to uh, kill him. And uh, in there was a, uh, a a group of Jesuits and and a housekeeper and the housekeeper's daughter. Um, uh, six individuals in total that were killed um, in this assassination attempt. Um, and uh, by chance, uh, Sabrino happened to not be uh, there at this time. So, but but friends of his uh, were killed in that um, in that attempt. And so uh, he he said things that unsettled people and was very critical of the uh, he was he was schooled in the United States for a period of time and was very critical of both the uh, Carter and Reagan administrations uh, because they funded um, a great deal of uh, military machines in Latin America, like in El Salvador, where he lived. Um, And if that's not enough of like a of like a case for his uh, revolutionary um, uh, uh, credentials. Uh, he, in 2007, the Catholic Church issued a statement about Sabrino that his um, thoughts may cause harm to the faithful. That's the quote, may cause harm to the faithful. So uh, it, in a way, I think uh, Sabrino actually like, uh, and his followers would like take that statement as like a badge of honor. <laughs> it's a it's a backhanded compliment for them because uh, essentially uh, Sabrino's theology was that God is a fierce advocate for the poor. Uh, this is what we see uh, from the Exodus in the Bible all the way through to the min- ministry of Jesus, and this is what we see in the early church. And this is the his he he was very um, uh, big on uh, historical understandings of Jesus. Let's look back and look at the political and historical understanding, not just Jesus as like this cosmic figure for all time, but like what was happening right there politically, historically, socially, culturally, and how did Jesus respond to it? And he saw Jesus as somebody who was a fierce advocate for the poor, who showed that God will not turn their back on the poor. And God will even die for the poor if we see Jesus as, again, this marginalized person resisting an empire. That shows us what God will do. God will resist empires to save people who are displaced or hurt or downtrodden by empires. I think something that I've picked up from interacting with liberation theologies um, is that there is this active engagement with what is presently happening. I think theologies that come from a place of privilege have a lot more of a tendency for experience and theology to be detached. Yeah. It becomes very theoretical. Um, the spiritual isn't actually like actively involved in what's present. And if you are actively involved in injustice taking place, then it's seen as like a distraction from the true biblical faith or whatever language might be used there. And I think that liberation theologies that come from the margins have a lot more of um, this intertwining of story and Jesus, um, that those things aren't as easily separated, that there isn't that same tendency to be detached or even the option to be detached because it's very concretely often a matter of life or death. Um, that, yeah. As you're talking, that's coming to mind for me. Yeah, I feel like um, liberation theologies, like Sabrino's or others, they're um, they're, they're, again these are this his is uniquely from an El Salvadorian uh, perspective, Um, but um, but we can talk about uh, and we we did a sort of um, 
some some time ago in our God of the Oppressed series, we we leaned into the work of James Cone, who uh, was the uh, a big writer, sort of around the same time, like the seventies, sixties uh, of uh, Black liberation theology in America. Um, and one of the one of the things I think is that liberation theology is really important, and I think it's becoming. It, it's it's many people are receiving it like water on dry land right now because we can so easily look around any of us even those of us who are from a more privileged place like me and have not actually experienced oppression but we can look around and, and witness oppression so quickly we don't we don't live like removed from it um, because because of you know like the the internet because of news because there there is no way to turn and and that and that's important in a way because we don't want to you know like silo off and and be totally like unaware of deep and horrible suffering that's going on there but what that means is that when we do become aware theologies that are not like in the dirt that don't like account for the fact that there is horrible things happening and we look to the left and to the right and they're and they're everywhere and we can't escape them and what do we do with this what do we do with the fact that there's so much horrible suffering the theologies that were popular sort of 19th century 20th century among european americans among white middle class people as as that became a thing and that became to like take hold of the cultural force in america in particular uh, those theologies were all like way up high in the sky of like what is truth you know, like, which I, I mean, I think that's a great question. I, I, I think about that question too, but what we need is something that's a little bit more down in the dirt um, because we, we just cannot escape the reality of hurt and pain right now. And liberation theologies, I think, are, 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 are really important to us right now because they can live there. That's where they, that's where they were born. They're not from above trying to trickle down and hopefully they speak to people who are suffering. Uh, it, they, they arise from below. Yeah, as you're talking about um, these theologies that are in the dirt and everything, what's coming to mind for me is this core tenant that we go back to a lot at BLC, that the cross is actually about human violence and not a violent God. So it isn't this um, big God in the sky questioning of what is truth and what is resurrection and all of that, but that there's actually a really important message here of saying, this is not a violent God looking to appease um, a wrathful presence towards humanity. Like this is about human violence. And I'm hearing some of that come up in Sabrino's work that you're talking about today. So could you say a little bit more on that? Yes. Yeah. So uh, very much so that uh, Sabrino's understanding of what is happening with Jesus on the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? All of the questions that we might ask around that, of like, why is this such an important thing? And what does that mean for us today? And what does it mean that God was died and then was raised and all of that? Um, Sabrino does not believe in redemptive violence. And this is what um, some popular dominant pictures, Euro-American pictures of the cross actually encourage us to believe in. And, and, and we, we push away from that in our church, uh, this idea that like violence restores, the, the violence of the cross, Jesus's death on that, restores somehow the connection between humanity and God. And the, Sabrina would push against, we follow in Sabrina's footsteps in pushing against that. Violence does nothing to restore. The violence that we see on the cross is the cost that must come, that must be 
counted when you are in the fight of liberation. That that's that that's what it means to Sabrina. It's like when you fight for liberation, that means that you know the 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 guns are going to be pointed at you, and the people with more power are going to be are going to see you as the enemy. And that is that's his understanding of why Jesus goes to the cross. So Jesus on the cross shows God's faithfulness and solidarity. It is like solidarity in particular with the poor. Jesus is is it shows us that this God is utterly faithful to the point of of walking into self-sacrifice uh, for the sake of the poor. And then the resurrection, what that means is like sort of the vindication uh, from God that this is the most powerful force in the universe. Actually, power that uses weapons, power that uses cruelty, that uses dominance is not power. That's garbage. And what is actual power is love. What is actual power is self-sacrificial love to the maximum. Um, and so, uh, so that is, that, that's how we understand what's happening on the cross. And there's a lot in there that I think we fall in line with. I, I think it, it, this, uh, Sabrina is not the only one who, who uh, textures what we talk about when we talk about the cross that way. Um, but one thing that is unique to him, uh, is he, he sort of takes that and says, so, so this is a specific example of, uh, of oppression that Jesus lived in and then resisted empire and and showed us the the self-sacrificial love heart of God and then he takes that and and blows it open and says so who are the crucified people in your world this is basically the question that his theology encourages people to ask and he talked at length obviously about the people of El Salvador he's uh, during his writing something like 60% of people in El Salvador uh, lived in poverty. And among those 60%, 80% of them lived in extreme poverty, according to the UN Poverty Index. I mean, it's just just absolutely, just tragic, tragic circumstances. And again, he was extreme, he, he, he to the point of, of assassination attempts, pointed out that like, hey, by the way, you Americans who claim to be the saviors of the world, you are backing the military that causes this. I mean, he, he pulled no punches whatsoever. And, uh, and, and, and again, he, he encourages this. Uh, if you want to find God, you need to be in the fight of liberation. You need to go and be among the people and, uh, who are being crucified because God is a crucified God. So where, where is God when we look around? Among the people who are being crucified today in our world. And it sounds like some of what Sabrina is saying here is that being in the fight of or toward liberation um, looks different depending on your positionality. Yes. Yeah, that seems because for those who aren't living in extreme poverty, the the route of liberation is going to be very different um, than those who are actually in these places of marginalization. Um, yeah, does he say more about that? Oh, I'm seeing it just because I'm seeing this pop up now. So positionality, um, this term just refers to kind of like your social position. So um racially, ethnically, or level of education. Um, so that would mean like for me as a white woman who is getting a master's degree, um, that kind of, all of those things affect my positionality in um, my own context. Um, so it's, it's kind of a technical term, but it more so is just related to like, what's your position in a society that um, is undeniably centered on power and power structures at play. Um, but yeah, Vince, could you uh, speak a little bit more to this different different ways of experiencing liberation or really experiencing God? Yeah. Um, so I mean, this is a place where Sabrina ruffles feathers, and uh, and and that many liberation theologies will ruffle feathers, uh, particularly for someone like me who is a middle class white guy 
who uh, my positionality is, uh, you know, in, is very much on top. Lots of things work out for me. If the status quo stays the status quo, that like will 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 make things easy for me. And uh, and so Sabrino is is going to really bring challenge to me when I read him. He uh, so I mean. He goes to the point, like, uh, maybe you're familiar with um, comments from Jesus, where Jesus says things like how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It is harder for a camel to go, or it's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. You know, it's a pretty, pretty extreme statement there. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are the poor. And he just kind of let that hang out there in a world where, like, the poor aren't blessed. The rich people are blessed. What are you talking about? He, he said, blessed are the poor. He, uh, he uh, one of Jesus' most, like, controversial statements is like i uh, i came not to bring peace but a sword and you know and and the way that we understand that here is i came to bring peace to the status quo we are not just kind of keeping things as they are uh we are uh, uh upsetting the apple cart and um and and where sabrino takes this is uh, he actually believes that uh, there is not uh, direct access to God for everyone. <laughs> so he actually, no, you only can find God. You can only find God through the poor and oppressed. So if you're a person of privilege, aka me, the only way that I can actually access God is to join the fight of liberation, is to find myself in solidarity with those who are poor, where God actually is. And so, you know, like this is like, it's funny that... Um, uh, a church, a church like ours, like a, a progressive leaning, inclusive church, we we will often have the charge leveled against us of being like, you make it too easy for people to connect with God. You're too inclusive, you know, and because because American religion is super weird. Um, and I actually personally take that as a compliment when people tell me I make it too easy for people to connect with God. That feels like Jesus to me. But um, but what's interesting here is that what we we get from from Sabrino is like this is. This is as liberal, progressive, socialist as it gets, and arguably makes it way harder to connect with God <laughs> because he's like, he said, no, actually, you're not experiencing God unless you are in the fight of liberation. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we take wholeheartedly uh, what we read here, but I am suggesting that we listen to it, and I think it's extremely important not to turn away from it just because it ruffles feathers of my own, and uh, and I, I think that that's really important that we kind of that we enter into that because, you know, I think about in one way, it's also merciful to say that, uh, to, to say that like, where is God? God is, is over here in this fight for liberation. God is not in the status quo of white middle-class America as I experience it. Because in, in some ways I'm like, when am I experiencing life when I'm like dealing with our overly individualistic capitalism as our religion, you know, society? Like I'm not experiencing life there. It drains me. It exhausts me. I I constantly run up against it in like little ways when we, my family got in a car accident, we have to deal with insurance. And I'm just like, insurance is stupid. And I don't mean insurance is stupid entirely. But like my experience in that moment was insurance is stupid. And then, you know, I, 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 you know, have an interaction with with a friend of mine who does not carry the positionality that I have, and they're having a hard time finding a place to live because their skin color is not white. And I'm like, this is stupid. Like, what? None, none of this is giving me life anyway. And so there's this piece of what I think Sabrino drives us toward, and what liberation theologies in general drive us toward, which is like. Why, why am I so tied to these things that seem so important and like, you know, like hold my world together, but they're not actually giving me life. They actually feel like they exhaust me. They frustrate me. Uh, I, I want to look elsewhere. And, and so if I can take Sabrino's 
encouragement that like, that's because God is not there. Not as like a threat to me, but as sort of like a lifeboat. I was like, yeah, maybe God's not there. Maybe maybe the reason that you feel so drained and lifeless is because God's not there and God is over here and you can join us and be a part of this and you can find God and that will be that will be hard because you'll have to sacrifice some things, but you will find God there. And uh, so that, in a, in a way, you know, it's like, I, I don't know, I, I want to listen to this, even though it's hard to hear. Yeah, I think often language like that just serves as a really helpful corrective. Um, because often for many people, uh, it's easier to connect God or try to connect God into places of power. Um, and so to have a corrective in the complete opposite direction to say God is not present in that, um, which I think requires a lot of wrestling to figure out what that actually means and looks like. Um, it's a corrective to bring it back more to like, well, we do see Jesus aligning over and over again with those who are experiencing suffering. Um, a term that has been really helpful for me since I encountered it, um, this is a Greek word and it sounds really crazy, um, but it's the term splunknizomai. And I think I've talked about this before briefly, um, but there's a story in the Gospel of Matthew, which talks about Jesus's uh, lived out life and death and resurrection. And in this story, Jesus sees a crowd that is being harassed and he has compassion on them. And the term that's used there is splunknizomai. And so really crappy translations will say like Jesus took pity on them. Yeah. Um, usually it's translated as compassion, but this word actually gets at this physical feeling of gut-wrenching um, experiences, hmm. that when hmm. Jesus encounters those who are being um, harassed, who are experiencing abuse in whatever form it may be, who are in need of healing, he has this like gut-wrenching feeling that leads to concrete action. Hmm. So there's a draw. The compassion here is really like, it's not just um, sympathy from a distance, but it's actually like feeling and suffering alongside of. There's a mobilization towards justice here. So action is implied. Um, and I heard a friend recently talk about this and saying that when you're following Jesus, you either suffer greatly or splunknizomai greatly. So mm, to put that in actual good. terms. Make it a verb. To suffer greatly or to have compassion greatly. And this isn't like a watered down um, compassion. I think some of these terms lose meaning when we see them a lot. Um, things like compassion and grace, but a compassion that has that like gut churning uh, need to actively participate in liberation. And so maybe that gets at some of these, like there's different routes to experiencing God. And for those who don't suffer on a daily basis, that actually looks like splunknizomai. Like that. Splunknizomai. Am I saying it? Am I saying it right? No. Splunknizomai? Yeah. Like, like kind of like spelunking, like the, like cave, cave diving. Is right. that how it starts? Yeah. I mean, that's a great okay. metaphor too, if we want to talk about <laughs> <But>. <laughs> Yeah, I, um, I think I have, I think I have a story of learning to splunk Nizamai greatly. Um, the, uh, shortly after, uh, my wife and I, uh, graduated from college, we, we graduated right around the recession in 2008 and we, uh, we we worked a lot of part-time jobs. We uh, lived under the poverty level for uh, two years. And um, during that time, um, received our health care through uh, um, Medicaid. 
and uh, you know, Medicaid is is it, the, the idea is to fill in the gaps for um, society because we have uh, employer sponsored per, uh, private healthcare in this country. A different topic that maybe we can talk about at a different time. Um, but uh, but Medicaid in theory is meant to kind of like fill in the gaps for society when people uh, aren't able to get uh, have access to that. And um, I remember that our experience um, during that time was extremely confusing. And uh, I think we had like interaction with like three different agencies from the government or companies that actually provided insurance. I'm not really sure which one was which, which one was a government agency and which one was a private company. Um, but we, we just had such a difficult time navigating, like, who do we call? Like if we need, if we need to go see the doctor, if we, if we need to see a specialist and need a referral, or if, if we just need like, like medication, you need a prescription, who do we call? Do we call this office or this office? And where is, where's that paperwork and which page is it on? And why is this like eight point font and like six pages front and back? And like, this is so confusing. And, and I remember that like shortly after, like, or, or in the midst of that uh, experience, we kind of recognized like we are, we grew up in this culture. We know what it's like, you know, when you get a bunch of, you know, like you, sign up for something and you get a bunch of paper that's eight point font and front and back. Like that's familiar to us. We speak English as our first language. We are college graduates. You know what I mean? Like, and this was confusing for us. And I just remember like, that was a, an, an eye-opening experience for me who had never really put myself in the shoes of somebody who grew up extremely differently from me to realize like, this, this must be utterly overwhelming for somebody who doesn't speak English as their first language, who is not used to our like overly complex private healthcare system. This, this, this could, you know, like who's not used to receiving like tons of mail from the government. And you know, like this, this is overwhelming. And, and I just remember like that, that I think was, was a moment for me where I started to feel, I guess that Splunk Nizmai of like the, inside me wasn't just like a, a like a passing like wow that must really suck for that person but i started to feel like this is not right like i can't i can't continue to exist if this is the case and there was something about me that was broken inside as a result of that and as hard as that is to go through i i wonder if that like maybe that's me experiencing god is have, having that experience because there is me getting caught up in the the fight of liberation when I notice that thing when I'm uh, affected by it enough for you know for it to really sink in and as difficult as an experience that is maybe that's me experiencing God and and and, and that opens me up and it makes me more alive despite the fact that it left me with feeling such sadness about like what's around me or the the state of life in America. Yeah, I think something, um, a real gift from different liberation theologies, and as we're talking about today, specifically in a Latin American context, is this value in disruption, um, mm. that disruption isn't a threat to faith or to God in any way, but that's actually where we are able to really concretely experience Jesus and be drawn deeper into relationship um that there is this like active piece of wrestling and being unsettled um and feeling compelled to move and to act in a specific way 
that actually is seen as a, a way to deepen faith, not a distraction yes. from the faith at hand. Yes. Uh, Haley, I want to pull um, Alicia's question from the chat, and I'll speak to it as best I can. I don't think I'm an expert, so maybe I'll like do my best. And Haley, I wonder if if you have anything else to offer, or may, may, maybe you're in the same boat as me of like, maybe I have something, but I'm not an expert. But Alicia in the chat asks a great question. Uh, what's the relationship between um, Latin American liberation theologies and these countries' more government-sponsored like state religions? Is that That's often the case in a lot of these uh, contexts. So it, it's complicated is basically, you know, pro- probably you'd expect that um, where. So, for example, Sabrino, who we're like doing a deep dive in this morning, is a Jesuit. And so the, he's part of the Catholic Church. But as mentioned, you know, in, in 2007, he's like he, he's he's uh, he's actively discouraged uh, 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 the faithful to follow Sabrino, uh, some of Sabrino's teaching. Now, that said. Sabrina is still allowed to pastor, and he's he's an old man now, and and is still very involved in in uh, in teaching, and um and so it's it's sort of complicated uh, in that sense. Um, uh, Catholicism has its own story of kind of like uh, from the bottom up theologies developing um, in the more Protestant world. Um, there are are some countries that you know they're um, they have kind of rich Protestant um, uh, traditions going on. And in some of those cases, they are sort of from the bottom up uh, theology that's come out. There's there's a lot of back and forth uh, post World War II between German theologians that were trying to figure out like what do we make of the fact that we we did the uh, the unthinkable, the unspeakable, the horribly immoral. And uh, one of the great theologians in, in, in that world was Jürgen Moltmann, who uh, started a back and forth with Latin American theologians that were um, that were kind of leaving behind more of these like very big theologies that were inherited from co- uh, colonizers and were trying to theologize from the bottom up of saying like, Let's talk about what Je- Jesus was 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 a marginalized person. Jesus is more like us than he is like you, colonizers. We should be teaching you about theology. And uh, and uh, one of the you know sort of really interesting back and forths is Latin American theologians and German theologians during like the 1970s and 1980s and 1990s. Uh, but then the other thing that's gone on is a lot of um, missionary uh, work uh, by the United States evangelical churches that has gone out to Latin American churches. And in some ways, those have brought life to communities. Those have done wonderful things. And in other ways, they have been another wave of like colonizing faith, of like faith that is, that is from the top that is meant to trickle down rather than faith from the bottom that's meant to grow. And, uh, and, and that is also complicated. You know, there, are, there is such a mix of, of rich deposits and challenging things that, um, that, that are, are, are more in the vein of like colonizing. So. Yeah. A story that's coming uh, to mind that specifically speaks to this in um, El Salvador, uh, there's a priest, Oscar Romero, um, mm-hmm. who actually was more so on the conservative side of things until his own um, his own friend was killed in kind of this fight for liberation against a really um, oppressive and chaotic um, military presence. And he actually, because of that, his theology shifts. And he had both clashes with um, government and military and with the Catholic Church because he was seen as being this really radical force because of the way that he was trying to live out the theology. Um, I think sometimes with liberation, we see 
the action, something happens and the theology authentically follows. Um, I don't know if that is clear. Sometimes with positions of power and theology that come out of that, we have this theoretical belief and then we looked for ways that actions are supporting yes. that belief. Okay, yeah. Then and then... He experienced actively those who were suffering and the death and destruction that was becoming part of it. And his theology followed. Um, and I think that that is just as much, if not even more so, a legitimate way to experience God. Um, and so because of this, eventually he himself was killed and it was within a um, Catholic church that that happened. He was assassinated in the context of church because he was preaching a word um, very similarly to what Sabrina was writing that was compelling people to move and to act against different systems of power. Um, and later now he is venerated by the Catholic church. Yeah, he's um, a saint now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's kind of, it's interesting to see um, that his own like radical, I guess the term would be used to describe him, um, that that was such a driving force for liberation and justice and change um, that originally was conflicting both with a military government presence and with a Catholic presence. Um, and that gets back at this disruption piece that when people truly are following Jesus, there's going to be disruption on all fronts. Um, and that I think is what happens with Romero really clearly. It's uh, it, once again, it kind of brings us back to um, I, th I think this is important because uh, one of our regular traditions as a church is communion, where we remember Jesus on the cross. Uh, but it brings us back to the cross of like we're talking about people who spoke up so um, powerfully and uh, and courageously for uh, the sake of those on, 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 on the sword's end of injustice that they were assassinated. And um, what what uh, what this theology would have us do is when we see that that's that's the that that's like the modern contemporary image for Jesus when we see people who've done that that that's what that's essentially how we have to think of Jesus on the cross and uh, for anyone who has grown up in America chances are like as Haley set us up with this dominant theology about like what is happening with Jesus on the cross that's not the immediate thing that that you you probably think of what you probably think of are those more like big cosmic like i'm a sinner and Jesus died and now i'm saved and not to not to say that there isn't something cosmic happening i actually believe that there is something very big that spans all of time that's happening with Jesus on the cross but what are our what are the things that we see in the modern world that should immediately spark hey that's jesus like to us for the latin american theologians uh of liberation it is the the like the, the uh, people like oscar romero who were actually assassinated or sabrino's jesuit friends who uh spoke up so vehemently that they were they were killed and in 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 very shady ways that all point back to the powerful people And I do want to mention real briefly that um, we've focused a lot today on men speaking from um, a Latin American context with liberation theology. There's also a tradition, um, Mujerista theology, that specifically is the intersection of um, Latin American context and feminism. Um, so we see this with Black liberation theology. There's kind of this missing piece of women's voices, um, and that becomes womanist theology. And then Mujerista theology is uh, a similar sense of um, that there are different 
layers of oppression here. There's intersectionality taking place. Um, and so I can provide, if people are interested, some authors and speakers along that route too, because I think that women experience this um, at a whole nother level as well, that there's not only um, oppression from uh, a sense of um, being in a marginalized community, but it's multiple marginalized identities. Yes. Um, so just wanted to toss that out there as well. Yeah, that would be awesome to get a few more um, uh, recommendations in the chat and we'll make sure that we save the chat. So if you uh, heard something that was interesting or like a resource and you weren't able to capture it yourself, you can always um, let us know in Discord uh, and we'll uh, we'll make sure that you get that, uh, that recommendation. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any like last pieces that we can pull out. Haley, any last pieces for you? And then, and then uh, I'll, we'll, we'll take a minute to pray here before we, we head to a close. I was just going to ask Vince, any last yeah. pieces? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think the, um, what, what, uh, what grabs me here is um, it's this, this encouragement that um I, I, I'm going to go back to your word, the uh, splunknismi, of I really think that to be moved in that way, um, it is by definition uncomfortable, right? Like you said, it's it, in some way it is a solidarity with somebody else who is suffering. And so it's it's going to feel like suffering to you. Um, but um, w one thing that is um, is a is a, a theme throughout uh, John Sabrino's work, is joy at the same time. And so we have this, this uh, he, he continually pushes the pedal to the metal on somebody who uh, experiences privilege. You've got to resist the empires around you and you've got to lay down your privilege. And he's writing this in like the, the uh, 1991 is his seminal book, uh, G uh, Jesus the Liberator. And um, and you know, this is becoming, I think, uh, 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 something that uh, more people are ready to like really say like, oh, oh like w this should be front and center, not like an extracurricular activity for people. So that, that's really great that we're going there. And it is going to come with challenge. It's going to come with sacrifice for somebody like me. But at the same time, what uh, Sabrino insists is that this is where joy is. And you will find yourself confronted with the powers that be. You will find yourself on the side of history that might be the the losing side because the power the powerful have so much power but you will find there in you know in the fact that you are like among god and you are among god's people you are among those who are crucified today you will find the joy of being in connection with god like he 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 has this long discursus about like how the word gospel means good news and if we are on the side of god even if that means the losing side of some battle that's playing out on earth you will find joy because it is good news to be there it is good news to be with god and I think that's really important. I think that's like so much of uh, of of the the uh, discussion that has been like blown open in America since George Floyd's murder, and then has kind of waxed and waned in terms of how much are we ready to talk about uh, privilege, how much are we ready to talk about white supremacy and its underlying realities in life. What, part of this is like you know the, yes there's going to be there's going to be a lot of challenge there's going to be a lot of laying things down there's going to be a lot of sacrifice i believe sabrina that there's also a lot of joy there and um and i think that that's something that i take away from uh latin american liberation theology which is joy and 
the self-sacrificial love, even the wor- even like the most intense type, they actually are neighbors. Uh, and, that, and that feels really true to me. Yeah, that joy piece is really, really important to name here, that good news uh, needs to be good news for all people. And I think mm. that just really authentically arising from liberation theologies. Um, and that's a real gift to something that we miss, that good news isn't good news qualified only if you fall into this positionality, but good news for all people means that there's going to be disruption. Um, that status quo is not where Jesus is found um, or found most clearly. And being aligned with that change, it is life-changing and it really should be. Yes, amen. Well, let me pray for us as we let all of these ideas and thoughts and feelings and new Greek words like splunknizomai bounce around in our heads and and hopefully uh, work something positive in us. Let me pray. God, this uh, there's lots here, and maybe there was something that hooked uh, hooked us somewhere, um, and it was like, oh, that was. I'm going to I'm going to hang on to that for later. Or maybe there was something here that made us feel understood and we want to hang on to that for later. Or maybe there was something that really felt a bit challenging, even even threatening. And uh, and yet we can't quite put it down yet. We're not running away from it. We're just letting it work on us and wherever we are in those sorts of ways that we might be we might be provoked by this morning's discussion. We pray a gratitude for the work the bottom-up work of people like John Sabrino, of those who have taken it seriously that to be among uh, the poor and to speak on their behalf is where we find God. We pray our gratitude for all of those that have, like Jesus, gone before us with courage, courage enough to face crucifixion in some form or another. All of the poor and the hurting and the neglected of the Latin American and Hispanic countries that we remember this month. All of the poor and the hurting and the neglected and the forgotten all over. that have taken that suffering that has come at them because our world is unfair and our world is often unjust and have transformed it into something that can be the liberation for others. What an incredible story of God. What an incredible picture of of resurrection, of renewal after loss, that death does not have the final word. And through those voices, you are speaking to us, our community here in the 21st century, in our worlds, and you have something for us here. And so I pray that it would, that it would sink down deep and it would affect us and it would lead us toward all of the, the courageous decisions that we must make to be a part of the liberating fight, but also that we would truly find you, God. That, if that's where you are, and there is life there, and there is joy there, and there is purpose there, and we no longer have to just like survive through in capitalism hell, well, then we want to go toward that. And so guide us into that. 
In Jesus' name, amen.